Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. In the podcast today, we're going to look at the Olivet Prophecy. The Olivet Prophecy, of course, is found in the Gospel accounts. Three of the Gospels record it. The Apostle John didn't record it in his account. But it was Jesus' longest recorded talk on prophecy in the Gospels. To really understand it, though, we have to first look at its background and context. Most people think of Jesus as a great teacher or the prophesied Messiah, and he really was those things. But he was something else that oftentimes people don't consider and think about. He was also a prophet. He prophesied future events. Now, throughout his ministry, he prophesied many of those things that came to pass in his lifetime, events that surrounded his life and ministry and his ultimately his death and resurrection. He prophesied that he would die and that three days and three nights later he would live again. And that happened. He prophesied that one of his disciples, Judas, would betray him. That happened. He also prophesied that one of his disciples, who ultimately remained faithful, Peter, would deny him three times. That happened. Those were events that happened in his time. But he didn't just predict events of his time. He also prophesied about things that would occur many years in the future, what we traditionally think of when we think of as prophecy. We think of predictions about things that happen far off in the future. And Jesus did that as well. As we've already said, his longest and most detailed prophecy was given just shortly before his final days on this earth as a human being, just shortly before he was arrested, tried, and crucified, and then we, of course, know three and a half days later was resurrected to glory. It has come to be known as the Olivet Prophecy. Why do we call it that? Well, it's basically called that because of where it was given. The location of the prophecy was given on the Mount of Olives, which was sometimes or is sometimes called Olivet. This program is going to begin a series taking a closer look at the Olivet prophecy, a closer look at this answer he gave. We're going to look at the question a little later, and we're going to see many interesting and surprising things are revealed in it. But today we're just going to begin by exploring some of the background and context of this prophetic discourse or saying or answer that Christ gave them. But let's now look at more of the context. What about the Mount of Olives? Well, the Mount of Olives is a physical location. It's still there today, located on the east side of Jerusalem. And at the time of Christ, it directly overlooked the majestic and beautiful temple complex that Herod had built, often called the Second Temple or Herod's Temple in historical circles. Today, you can stand on top of the Mount of Olives, and what you overlook is what the Jews call the Temple Mount, but you'll see the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and you'll see the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock standing over the location where the Second Temple once stood in Jesus' time. But when he was on the Mount of Olives, he overlooked the Temple Complex. When in Jerusalem, Jesus would often end a long day by heading up to the Mount of Olives. It was kind of his rest spot, kind of his relaxation spot, an area where he could go to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and, and all the events that surrounded him as he went about his ministry. He would often end the day by going up to the Mount of Olives, which would have been relatively more secluded, a place where he could just rest, maybe eat dinner up there, spend some social time with his disciples, and then eventually call in a night and go to bed. 
The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the prophecies he gave on that mountain just a few days before the final Passover. These are the prophecies we're discussing in this program. Now, in the immediate context, right before he gave these prophecies, he had spent the days down in the temple. And in fact, we read about that day of the Olivet Prophecy earlier in that day in Matthew 22 and 23. And he had some of the most intense and vigorous confrontations with the scribes and Pharisees that are recorded in the Gospels. Uh, You may find it interesting to read through Matthew 23 and notice some of the things he says about their religion and their approach to religion. But that's not our topic today. So he had had this long day in the temple, these intense conversations with the Pharisees, and as the day was drawing to a close and those, those things were over, He was about to call it a night with his disciples. He was with his disciples. Now it seems that they had were leaving the temple complex, leaving the main hub of where all this activity occurred. A discussion ensues among the disciples about the complex itself, about the temple, which we often use the temple complex because it was much bigger than just the temple where the sacrifices took place and the priests did their work. It was an entire complex. That's the work of Herod. And it's a really interesting study to study Herod's temple. What's interesting, though, is that Herod's temple actually wasn't complete at the time of Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ went about his ministry, Herod's temple was still very much a work in progress. It wouldn't be finished for another 30 years. Perhaps when the disciples were discussing it, there was a certain portion of it maybe that had been finished recently, and they were very impressed by it and were talking to Christ about it and were just showing their how impressed they were about this part of the temple. Mark 13 verse 1 records what they say to Jesus. As they're, they're in this conversation about the beauty of the temple, they say, Teacher, that's Jesus, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. This is impressive. And, and they wanted a comment from him. Who knows what their real motivation for saying this was, but they wanted him to comment on the beauty of the structure. Now, before we get into his answer, it's interesting that they talk about the stones. Because the stones of Herod's temple, we still know a lot about because some of the stones of that complex, the base on which the temple was built, are still there, and we can still go to Israel and see those. What was really interesting about those stones, they were limestone, quarried locally, and fashioned by skilled stonecutters into these massive rectangular blocks Even before they were brought to the temple complex and put into place, they were fashioned to fit perfectly together. And because they fit so well together, they were were fashioned and made so well to fit together, they didn't even need mortar to reinforce them. They just sat on each other and became pieces of the structure held together by the massive weight. In fact, archaeologists and people who study these realize now that these stones that make up Herod's temple weighed in the tons. They were enormous stones, and we still awe today and wonder how they were possibly moved and put into place without the modern help of a crane or a truck. Who knows how they did those things? There's a number of theories. We actually don't really still know exactly how Herod's workers were able to accomplish this, but many of these stones were massive, were four feet high and ten feet in length. They were huge, and there are some that were even bigger than that. I I give this program after having just been to Jerusalem 
uh, a month or so ago and was able to see some of the Herodian stones on the platform. And what's interesting is that just as the disciples marveled at these stones 2,000 years ago, people still go and visit Israel today and marvel at them today because they're still just as impressive, understanding how massive they are and understanding that we don't even really know how people who we consider primitive, people who lived 2,000 years ago, were able to construct this and move these stones and put them into place. It's, it's fascinating. But anyway, back to our topic. Whatever the disciples' reason for discussing the temple, what Jesus answered to them when they asked for his comment on the beauty of the temple and the, the, just the astounding impressiveness of the temple wasn't what they expected. You know, he didn't join them in this ooing and aahing over the structure. In fact, he made a statement. He answered them with a statement that probably was shocking and deflating to them. All this pride that they were experiencing in this discussion of their nation's most grand structure, he kind of takes the air out of that. Luke 21 verse 6 records his answer. Now, as we go through this program, remember that the the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in multiple Gospels, so sometimes we'll quote different of those Gospels because they all tell it from a different perspective, and sometimes one Gospel writer's description gives a little more detail than the other. So here we'll quote Luke 21 verse 6, and here we have Jesus' answer to their discussion and question to him about the beauty of the temple. Here's how he answers. These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. It's all coming down, guys. It's not going to stay there. It's not permanent. It's, it's grand. It's impressive now. It's not permanent, and it's going to soon be destroyed. Can you imagine how they felt after hearing this? how confused they probably were after hearing this. Here is the man, they're convinced, they were all convinced, for the most part, that he was the Messiah, proclaiming that the most important structure in their country and their religion was going to be completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And I I don't think we can really understand how disturbing this would have been to them because we don't understand the first century Jewish mind because, you know, know, it's hard to put ourselves in their place. But, But this was the center of their nation and their religion. Everything they believed was centered on this structure where they believed was where God resided on earth. You know, the pain of the destruction of the first temple, which was built by Solomon, We call it Solomon's Temple. That was destroyed by the Babylonians. That pain was still very much a part of the Jewish consciousness. And the thankfulness for having a new temple, a rebuilt temple, and now a much grander refurbished temple under Herod was still something they were that was very much a part of their thought. I mean, here we see the disciples talking about it and being impressed by it. It was very important to them. And here's Jesus saying, no, guys, it's all coming down. The idea of losing the temple was unthinkable to the Jews at that time. And and if you think about it, what they expected the Messiah to be, and these disciples believed Jesus was the Messiah, and they grappled with this 
throughout his ministry because they believed that the Messiah was going to come and at that time expel the Romans and restore Israel to independence and restore it to glory and bring the kingdom of God on earth through physical Israel. They understood some prophecies, misunderstood the others. They didn't understand that he was coming first to deal with sins and coming later to establish a kingdom and a government. They didn't quite have this. So here's the man that they think is going to restore the glory of the nation, saying that the most important building in the nation is going to be thrown down and destroyed. This, of course, did happen. This was one of the prophecies that Jesus prophesied, and it did happen. It happened 40 years later. You know, history records, you can read about that in the history books, when the Romans in 70 AD sacked and destroyed the city of Jerusalem because of a failed revolt by the Jews, and under the command of Titus, completely destroyed the temple. Totally. Not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus had said. Now, you can go there today, and you can see stones that were part of the foundation but all the stones that made up the actual temple were thrown down, just as Jesus said. And you can go there today and see stones laying that they've excavated that are just laying on the ground because they were thrown down and just left there. Now, that's going into the future. Now, let's go back to the actual time here in 31 AD when this is happening. So Jesus answers the question. They're ooing and aahing over the temple. Jesus says, no, it's coming down. It's going to be destroyed. And after that, they continue up the Mount of Olives. And I think you can picture this scene that it was, it was probably, uh, there was probably a lot of silence and a lot of confusion. Did, did he really just say what we thought he said? Did he say the temple is going to be destroyed? H how is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? And they're probably thinking, how do we know when that's going to happen? What's the signs of that? And at this point, they do start to realize that Jesus wasn't going to do what they thought he was going to do in that coming. It seems that they start to realize, okay, if the temple is going to be destroyed, he's not restoring the kingdom now. He's not going to expel the Romans now. He's not going to start ruling from Jerusalem now because a destroyed temple doesn't fit in with any of that. So they're realizing that's not going to happen immediately. So when they finally get up the mountain and maybe, you know, they've, they've settled in to where they're going to camp for the night, and maybe they're sitting around the campfire just relaxing, four of the disciples approach Jesus privately and ask him a question that I think probably they were asking for everybody. It probably was nagging them at them all the way up. That question is recorded in Matthew 24, verse 3. Tell us, when will these things be? They're talking about, again, the destruction of the temple, but more in a bigger sense, they're talking about now realizing that there has to be a second coming of the Messiah. So they say, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they're starting to understand the concept of two comings, that this was an initial coming, but there would be a second coming. At this point, they seem to start to understand that. Perhaps they wanted just a simple short answer. Well, uh, the sign is A, B, and C. That's what you need to watch for. Well, that's not what they got. Instead, Jesus gave them what has come to be known as the Olivet Prophecy. In fact, 
when you you know you read through the gospels and a lot of times Jesus is asked questions and he answers them this is the longest recorded answer that Jesus gave to a question in his entire ministry again he could have given longer ones that weren't recorded in the scriptures but this is the longest recorded answer so they may have gotten a little more than what they were really asking for or what were really prepared to understand. But anyway, that's what Jesus gave them. He gave them the Olivet Prophecy. His answer, the Olivet Prophecy, as we call it today, they wouldn't have called it that. His answer dealt with the signs just as they had asked, both general and specific, that would precede his second coming. And he also talked about spiritual warnings for his people in the end times. That was the answer they got. And it's one of the most remarkable sections in the Bible. I think you can put it right behind the Sermon on the Mount as one of the most important narratives, one of the most important discourses or discussions or preaching sessions, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus gave. It's fascinating, it's interesting, and it's instructive, and it's so important for Christians who are now living in the end times, looking for the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's so important for us to understand So in our next program, we're going to start taking a closer look at it, and we're going to look at some of the more interesting and even surprising parts of Jesus' answer to them. So stay tuned to this podcast for part two, where we'll get into the actual text of the Olivet Prophecy. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.